The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Just a decade ago, Microsoft was considered an afterthought in the world of tech. The company's phones were a failure. Its software was a punchline. But behind the scenes, the company was actually laying the groundwork for a more digital world. Eventually, it paid off. Today, Microsoft is jockeying with Apple and Amazon to be the country's most valuable company. Microsoft's success is an improbable journey. Many tech leaders lose their way. The rarity is finding your way back to the top. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. This season, we're doubling down on the past, jumping further back to the archives of Barron's to explore why companies, ideas, and industries thrived even as others failed to meet their promise. In our frenetic news cycle, those stories are quickly forgotten, but their lessons are vital for our future. Today on the show, Microsoft's stunning turnaround. Let's go back to 2013. Microsoft was looking for a new CEO after Steve Ballmer announced his retirement with no obvious successor in the wings. The executive hunt would be more than just a talent search. It would become a search for Microsoft's soul. Naming a new CEO is inevitably a turning point for any company. But for Microsoft, the stakes were even higher. It was still churning out huge profits from Windows, Office, and its other software. But no one raved about a Microsoft product anymore. And investors had all but turned their backs on the company. Meanwhile, now five months into the search, the company was still empty-handed. I wonder if this all isn't taking too much time. I mean, they, they've got to act fast, aggressively, perhaps, to kind of get, you know, catch a beat on their rivals. Is the CEO search becoming too distracting? Well, I think the first thing Microsoft's got to do is decide whether or not they can use this monopoly that they've had for a million years. We call them a utility because they just lumber along and they make some money and there's nothing exciting about them. Microsoft was far from irrelevant. The company's office suite products, Word, Excel, Outlook, they were still staples in corporate America and they generated huge amounts of cash. The question for the next CEO was whether to milk those profits or use them to build the next big thing. Microsoft's CEO search was all about what kind of company it wanted to be. The company now needs a total transformation. The pundits on CNBC and elsewhere were convinced Microsoft needed to make a splash with an outside candidate. My favorite candidate was Sheryl Sandberg. Nothing happening there. She probably turned it down, but she would have been terrific. Sheryl Sandberg never left Facebook. She wasn't the only big name being thrown around either. Microsoft's search committee reportedly considered more than 100 possible candidates, including Ford CEO Alan Mulally. I remember thinking, who would even want this job? Once a tech company loses its edge, it's really hard to get it back. The company, despite still being one of the richest, most powerful companies in tech, had become a second-class citizen, replaced by Google, Amazon, Facebook, and its longtime nemesis, Apple. The general world looked at Microsoft in 2014 as a company that was trying to redefine itself. It was still very much viewed as a more consumer-centric, more Windows-centric business. That's Mark Merdler. He's a senior research analyst at Alliance Bernstein. I've covered Microsoft now for nine years, but 
I came to Bernstein from within the software industry. I spent the whole rest of my life in software. I first spoke with Mark in 2015 while I was working on a cover story about Microsoft. After years of being stuck in place, shares of the company were finally headed higher. I was interested in how much higher they could go and if Microsoft was really a changed place under its new CEO, Satya Nadella. Yes, Microsoft eventually found that CEO, but more on him later. At this point in 2015, I was most interested in whether the company could break out of its decade-long slumber. Microsoft had, for 10 years, been believed to be a loser in many of its attempts to break out of its core markets. There was a general perception that Microsoft was not equipped as a business in terms of technology, in terms of brand, in terms of ability to execute. Microsoft had already missed the boat on mobile. Now, the biggest question was whether it could succeed in the cloud. Microsoft had been late to the game here, too, and in 2015, its cloud platform known as Azure was still a serious underdog to Amazon, whose AWS cloud service was already an $8 billion annual business. Azure barely had a billion dollars in sales. The belief was that lead was so large that it would require Amazon to massively fumble in order for Microsoft to have any chance of catching up. In my story back then, I noted that investors were still treating Microsoft like a traditional software company, even as it was making real progress in the cloud. Microsoft executives were eager to talk to me about how Azure actually surpassed AWS technologically. They already believed in the product. Now it was just a matter of convincing customers and investors. Back then, Microsoft stock still looked cheap relative to Amazon and cloud natives like Salesforce.com. But Mark was more bullish on Microsoft than most of Wall Street. In his view, investors were underestimating the company's ability to reinvent itself. Just a note before we move on. For this podcast, we're spending a lot of time looking through Barron's archives. With almost a century under our belt, we've had lots of time to make bold calls. And there's a lot to learn from what we got right and wrong. What better way to do it than actually reading back from our old stories and talking to the people who helped make them? Mark is one of those people. You told me that this is a huge market in which there will be more than one winner. And I'd love to get your thoughts on what you were thinking then. I, I don't think everyone really thought that at that point. It seemed like there was going to be this one company and Amazon just had it wrapped up. Microsoft was willing to bet the company on becoming a big cloud provider. No one realized how much Microsoft had been investing for years before this and how much Satya Nadella was willing to spend in order to build a global footprint capable of supporting enterprises in most locations in the world. In other words, Mark was optimistic because Microsoft was learning how to be innovative once again despite its well-earned reputation for being uncool. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. You know, we use a lot of the same... If you watched any TV in, say, 2007, you probably remember this Apple ad. The actor Justin Long, a young, relaxed guy in a hoodie, played Mac, while John Hodgman played PC in glasses and a rumpled suit. You should see what this guy can do with a spreadsheet. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, and he knows that I'm better at life stuff, like music, pictures, movies, stuff like that. Well, what, what, what exactly do you mean? This was Apple's view of the world, but it captured the zeitgeist. Macs were for creative folks. PCs were all business and not much fun. The ads seemed to work. 
In 2007, Mac sales were up 40%. But more than that, the ads solidified the idea that Macs were cool. PCs, not so much. It wasn't always that way. There was a time when Microsoft was all anybody talked about, mostly thanks to its ubiquitous Windows operating system, which ran just about every PC. I recently talked about Microsoft's glory days with Jack Howe, Barron's columnist and host of our podcast Streetwise. Jack has some unique insights given one of his first jobs was trying to sell those rare computers that didn't come with Windows. When I was in college, this is the early 1990s, I had a job at a mall radio shack where you made a commission to sell things. And the biggest thing you could sell was a computer. So everyone was trying to sell computers. And people started coming into the store and they started looking at the computers and asking, does this run Windows? And the answer to that was mostly no. And that would be a deal breaker. And it was all because of this company, Microsoft, and this thing they made called Windows, and suddenly everyone wanted it. So Jack felt firsthand the power of Microsoft, and he knew what it was like to be on the wrong side of cool. Microsoft was about to find out as well. There was a period in the mid-2000s when people said Microsoft can no longer compete with Apple. It's a company in long-term decline, and we're going to put a valuation on it that says that, and the stock was deeply out of favor. For Microsoft, the problems went beyond its Apple rivalry. Its internet efforts, for instance, continued to lose ground to Google. In 2006, the company released an MP3 music player called the Zune. It was a good product, but Microsoft and its engineering skills just weren't suited to market a music device. That said, Microsoft's profit engine kept going, whatever the cultural impression of the company might have been. We should just point out that it's not a company that ever fell on hard times. It was a company that it was always profitable and always earned a positive and fairly decent return on the money it invested. Yeah, and that's fascinating because investors, though, spent about 10 years giving the company no credit. So why did everyone overlook Microsoft? Much of the blame lays with Microsoft's leadership. Steve Ballmer had taken over the company from founder Bill Gates in 2000. Bomber became CEO at just the wrong time, right? He became CEO at a time when Apple had this device called the iPod, which no one knew was going to change an entire industry. And he, he was in the unfortunate position of having to come out and sell you a Zune. Is that, is that what it's Zune, right? <laughs> yeah. Z-U-N-E? Yeah. Which... That's it. I think even at the time, I mean, were there people who bought Zunes? Putting the Zune aside, Bomber was a different kind of executive. His personality was a sharp contrast from the reserve Bill Gates. Just listen to him take the stage at Microsoft's 25th anniversary celebration in 2000. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Ballmer! What comes to mind with Steve Ballmer is sweating a lot during presentations and yelling and also jumping up and down and getting excited at the side of NBA games. I know that's not fair to him. I know he did more than that and is more than that, but that's just the recollection I have. I have four words for you. I love this company. Yes! With Balmer at the helm, Microsoft launched into a new era of electronics, including tablets and smartphones, and he invested in the company's enterprise solutions. During Balmer's 14-year CEO tenure, Microsoft's annual revenue went from $25 billion to $70 billion. But the stock went nowhere. Investors had long ago priced in Microsoft's growth, 
and Balmer was never able to find that next big thing. He eventually lost the support of Wall Street, and by 2013, Balmer was out. Microsoft shares surging on Friday after the company announced that CEO Steve Ballmer will be stepping down sometime within the next 12 months. He is retiring. No successor has been named yet. The company starting the search process now. Why are investors so excited? As well, I mentioned earlier, it would prove to be an arduous task. I asked Mark Merdler from Bernstein about the CEO hunt. Microsoft, when Ballmer left, I mean, it was actually not easy for them to find a CEO. They had a lot of people turn them down. Does that speak to the fact that Microsoft was sort of a little bit lost? It was lost to an extent in terms of what it was going to be in the next phase of its life. The Windows business was under pressure from Android and Chrome. They weren't successful in the phone world. Gaming, there were some false starts in there. And there were lots of questions as to what was the right way of managing the business. There were discussions of whether or not to bring in someone who was basically going to cut cost and manage the business. It's stunning to think now that Microsoft would have liked to hire an automobile executive to run its business. In hindsight, the company was incredibly fortunate to have been turned down by Ford CEO Alan Mulally. Ultimately, the company stuck with its roots, choosing a relatively unknown name in Satya Nadella. Microsoft has a new boss. Company veteran Satya Nadella has been named chief executive officer of the software giant. Nadella is only the third CEO in Microsoft's 39-year history. While Nadella had worked at Microsoft for 22 years, he wasn't a Windows guy. Nadella was an insider with an outsider's perspective having run the company's newer cloud business. On day one, he told employees about his grand ambitions for the company. You know, this business of ours is an exciting business. And one of the core things that we've got to realize is that this business does not really respect tradition. Uh, What it respects is innovation on a go-forward basis. So it's really our collective challenge that we now need to make Microsoft thrive in a mobile-first and a cloud-first world. This was no longer Balmer's or even Bill Gates' Microsoft. He led on a cultural transformation in the business. He got the board to agree to massive investments in technology that was at that point unproven, or at least unproven for Microsoft. I would say that there will be numerous PhD theses purely using Microsoft as the case, And I think that if it weren't for the right person or right people in the right place at the right time, it's arguable whether it would have happened. Or if it did, it would have nowhere have been as successful as it is. Nadella made some quick changes. For years, new versions of Windows had been Microsoft's most important announcements, financially and culturally. But one year into the job, Nadella decided to make Windows 10 a free upgrade. It was a realization that Microsoft's future success would come not from individual pieces of software, but long-term customer relationships. Very quickly, subscriptions became a key part of Microsoft's strategy. Even more importantly, though, Nadella was pushing his employees to think outside the box. When I visited the company's Redmond, Washington campus, there was a palpable sense of energy. Employees shared big ideas, like real-time language translation on Skype, and brand new laptops meant to rival Apple's MacBook. And then there was the cloud. Even by 2015, that was the common thread behind Microsoft's every move. While Amazon got most of the credit for cloud innovation, 
Microsoft had been building its own cloud for years to power everything from serious office work to its Xbox video games. Even Bing. Yes, Bing is an afterthought today, but the search engine taught Microsoft much of what it's now applying in the cloud, including identifying patterns, a promising field known as machine learning. The more Microsoft built, the more valuable its software became. Companies that had always paid for Office could now get collaboration tools and remote connectivity for workers, plus unlimited computing power in the cloud. Those are all things that have become critical in 2020. Every large company in the world, or virtually every, has some form of a relationship with Microsoft today. Most of the large ones have large enterprise agreements. So it's natural for Microsoft to be able to leverage that relationship and move it to Microsoft. Looking at the big picture, Nadella transformed the company from a primarily consumer-facing, PC-centric company to an enterprise and cloud-focused one. It was a major change for the 40-year-old company. And it created big opportunity for investors who had given up on the big growth for Microsoft. If you have a company that's counted out, but that company is still generating really rich cash flow, and you bring in a new player who is genuinely willing to throw out the old script and try something new, I think it's time for value investors, you know, if not to buy in, then to certainly get real interested in what's going on. Yeah. How much credit, by the way, do you give the current CEO, Satya Nadella, who's, who's actually only the third CEO Microsoft has ever had? Um, I, I, I guess 100%. I mean, I, who else do I give credit for? I mean, does Bill Gates get credit for starting the company? Sure. But I don't think anybody could have seen this kind of comeback. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Today, Microsoft is worth $1.6 trillion. At this point, it's going to be hard for the company to surprise anyone. The comeback is complete. Are there still reasons to be excited about what comes next for Microsoft? Here's Mark again. Microsoft is growing faster than Google or Amazon and gaining share. We've seen a recent step down in the growth rates across all of the three of the players. But still, nonetheless, generally, Amazon is twice the size of Microsoft, but Microsoft is growing twice as fast as Amazon. Mark says Microsoft's Azure is well-positioned to become the same size as Amazon's AWS, which itself had almost $10 billion in revenue last year. And ultimately, Microsoft doesn't even have to beat Amazon in the cloud. As Mark pointed out, the cloud's potential is so enormous, there's plenty of room for several winners. So what about Microsoft's very hot stock? It's up 350% over the last five years, and 50% over the last year. The stock is expensive, like much of the rest of big tech, but Mark still sees reasons to be bullish. There are investors out there who believe, look, Microsoft's, you know, no longer cheap. It's trading at a higher multiple than it's traded in the past. Why should I buy it now if I don't own it? And I would argue you want to own it now because there's so much more growth ahead of this company. Five years after choosing a disruptive CEO, Mark says the company is still challenging its past success and looking for new areas of growth like augmented reality and quantum computing. In September, the company paid $7.5 billion to buy ZeniMax Media, one of the largest privately held makers of video games. Ultimately, Microsoft's success is a chance to reassess our biases in business and beyond. 
when you have only a couple years, it's difficult to be able to turn a business, especially a large business around. But if there is more time involved, companies can make really interesting transitions. If again, they've got the right people in the right place with the right focus of what they're gonna do to change the business. It's a takeaway for, for businesses. I think it's a takeaway for individuals when they think about who they are and where they are. You know, if you could see someone moving a company that is that large, that fast in a totally new direction and be successful, you know, it's a commentary on our own lives. This was our fourth episode of our new season of The Readback. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Regardless, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadback@barons.com. Thanks to Mark Merdler and Jack Howe. Be sure to check out Jack's Streetwise podcast. New episodes are every Friday, wherever you listen. And for more coverage on Microsoft and all the other cloud plays, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff and Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer. Next week on the show, we'll be talking about how technology has both changed and empowered Wall Street. The whole term robo-advisor was, was coined by the advisory community, right? It's like, you know, don't use a robo-advisor, use a human advisor. Here we have all of this uncertainty. One would think that people would be pulling money out, and that was not the case. We'll be back next week.